0: Every now and then on Classic Movies Live, we like to bring in an expert to tell us a little bit about classic movies. We bring in a guest and have them pick a movie and then tell us why it's a classic. And this is now the third of these episodes we've done. We've brought in Mark Morgan from the Academy of Death Racers to tell us a little bit about Alien. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about Alien with Mark Morgan from the Academy of Death Racers. You've heard Mark before uh, on this show. He was on our episode where we talked about Dummy, and uh, now he's on an episode where we talk about Alien. This is a really good episode. It went really long, but uh, we covered a lot of basics. We talk a lot about you know the themes of the movie, just really break down Alien as much as we can. And then we get in a little bit to the legacy of Alien, uh, the franchise as a whole. We talk a lot about James Cameron, who obviously did Aliens, but this is not a review of Aliens. This is a review of Alien. The studio originally wanted to uh, hire John Williams to compose the score for it. The studio lost that fight and ended up compromising with Ridley Scott and getting Jerry Goldsmith, who composed some iconic very minimalist music for alien and you're gonna hear a little bit of that right now You're listening to another episode of Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we talk about classic movies. And recently, we've started sort of a series where we bring in some folks to talk about movies they consider a classic because, you know, you know what me and Pierre think are classic movies, but we like to, like reach out and sort of find out what everyone thinks are classic movies classic is a very broad term it's a very ambiguous term doesn't mean very much so we want to know what it means to different people so today we're going to do one of those but first uh, before i introduce more about this episode i want to say hi to pierre because i always forget to do that pierre how you doing how you doing today hi
1: thanks for remembering me jeff i'm here i'm well i it's a bright sunny day in vancouver and uh well yeah that's basically it but thank cool, you cool cool i'm gonna forget about why you, you don't, maybe this is why you don't yeah <laughs> maybe this is why you don't call on me more at the start because i don't have much to say
0: anyway uh we brought on a guest today to talk about another classic movie and the guest that we have has been on the podcast before briefly you came in to talk about to talk about dummy with us which Thank you for doing that. I don't know who we would have gotten for that. And it was an incredible episode. I'm so You're happy welcome.
2: You're welcome. I have any excuse to watch Quibi films. I'm always fascinated to dig into the aborted masterpiece that was Quibi.
0: We need to find more aborted streaming services because that was that was such a good conversation. But anyway, uh, please welcome Mark from the Academy of Death Racers. Mark, say a little bit about yourself.
2: Hi, guys. My name's Mark Morgan uh, from the Academy of Death Races. Uh, I've been involved with the Academy of Death Races Festival for the last two years, which is great. Uh, I'm now working for the New Black Film Collective in London, so I'm doing a little bit of film work over in the UK. Uh, and, yeah, that's about me at the minute. Great to be back on the show.
0: I'll uh, I'll probably ask you to repeat all of that again in, you know, an hour and a half when we're done uh, and then I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. But uh, Mark, we, we reached out to you actually a long time ago. You were one of the first guests we reached out to. And just for whatever reason, it just kept falling through. Yeah.
2: Uh, I, kept, I kept dodging you by mistakes, my bad.
0: <laughs> it, it, it happens. But um, we uh, we asked you, what is a classic movie? And when you replied, it sounded like you had composed a message that sounded as if uh, it was a difficult decision, and yet you sent back something very quickly, like you had a like you had a classic movie ready to go. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the classic movie we're going to talk about today?
2: Absolutely, my classic movie is Tommy Wiseau's The Room. Um, it is not. It is Ridley Scott's Alien. So you like you said before the definition of classic when it comes to films like this is very fluid and difficult to pin down. So if I was to try and define it, I would say that a classic is definitive, whether that's of a genre, of an era or a place in time, or even even an actor maybe, it's definitive of that particular kind of work. And Alien is special because it's definitive of two genres at the same time. It's both the definitive working class sci-fi movie and the definitive space horror. Uh, it's the, the the perfect initiation of both, and maybe the first initiation of both in on, on the big screen and in mainstream films. I certainly can't think, when you think of Alien, the things that, p- that precede it and sort of brought it into the mainstream, you're thinking of things like Star Wars, maybe Star Trek, or other space genres like that, but none of them have that kind of working class vibe, and most importantly, none of them have that horror vibe, which is really mm-hmm. what Alien brings to it in a way that hadn't been done before. It's not a sci-fi in the way that that kind of futuristic and uh, optimistic view of the future might be, where you're seeing people who are more interested in um, in technologies expanding and cultures changing. No, a- the, the, the culture of Alien is extremely uh, relatable to the modern day, uh, which kind of grounds it in that way, while the rest of it is so fantastical. I'm wildly off topic but that's why I consider it to be a classic because it is it's a perfect example of two different genres at the same time
0: and I'm just thinking of things that could like also be considered within the sci-fi horror genre before then and just sort of where they slot in and they're all very different because I'm thinking well the, the first thing that came to mind was the thing which is actually six years later so it's not that that's not quite comparable but the Thing, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, are the other two things that I think of, both from much earlier, and sci-fi insofar as there are aliens involved, but it all happens on Earth in, like, Earth towns.
2: Yeah. And that, that's true of the the Thing original that the re- that, that was then later remade by John Carpenter as well. That's right. all Earthbound. Whereas this is, yeah, that, that kind of spacefaring, you know far-flung distant futures kind of sci-fi as opposed to a sci-fi which is taking place both in the modern day and on earth.
0: And then obviously Star Wars isn't horror, but if you look at Star Wars and Star Trek, Star Trek less so, but Star Wars more so, it really leans more into fantasy Western adventure rather than a- anything resembling hard sci-fi. The, s- the technology looks similar. But it's really just a skin on, you know, a fantasy adventure. Mm. And it's kind
2: of similar with Alien, really, in fairness. The, the, the ship of the Nostromo, there we are, It's really a setting rather than a an entire genre to build it on. Sci-fi tends to be more futuristic in terms of its view of the future, whereas the view of Alien is so is so working class and typically 1970s where you have the big corporation who doesn't care about their workers. Uh, the workers are just, they're, they're not um, space marines. They're not uh, off doing some far-flung thing. They're just miners who are just trying to go home at the end of a long day at work. It's extremely working class in that in that way, uh, in a way where something like you say, like like Star Wars, none of the jobs or uh, or roles in that resemble anything which is real and tangible in in, in the modern day.
0: You, uh, you use some key words there that I'm sure will come up much later. Anyway, but before we get really into Alien, because there's a lot to say about this, and I'm excited to do so, I'm sure that most people hearing this have probably seen Alien, but just so that we can, like, sort of ground ourselves, get an- an- anchor ourselves to what's going on, why don't you uh, describe the plot of Alien to us really quick?
2: Absolutely. Like you say, everybody who wants to see Alien has seen Alien at this stage. The people who haven't seen Alien are like my parents, who are are never going to anyway. Okay, but so Alien kind of drops you in in media res uh, onto the ship of the Nostromo uh, with a mining uh, crew coming home, hauling their load back to Earth, uh, who get um, waylaid by a distress signal from deep space uh, and brought out of their cryosleep ahead of time so that they can go to investigate it, upon which they find a deserted alien planet with a derelict alien ship with seemingly one dead body upon it. It, It's never really clarified in either cut of Alien as to whether or not that derelict ship is piloted by anybody other than the engineer. And of course, the famous face-hugging eggs, Mm -hmm. which which is how that alien gets onto the ship. And from that point... It's really that classic horror premise of people stuck in a situation, unable to leave it, and trying to work through everything that you would do as you try to deal with it. So it's very similar to The Thing, which you mentioned earlier, or similar to horror films like Saw or Green Room, where you're just stuck in that setting and desperately trying to work out what you would do to get yourself out of it.
0: Yeah. So that's the basics of Alien. And Pierre, why don't you you start taking us through what you thought of alien
1: uh i think the first thing i noticed is it's a really uh patient movie you know like i want to say the first 10 minutes is just very kind of slow establishing shots of just you know world building in terms of the ship i I think it kind of gives you a i I think the alien part at the start is iconic with with just the title coming up um i think it's kind of a reminds me of the alien trailer apparently was very iconic for the time where instead of uh, having a narrator just kind of exposition, everything that's happening with a the, with the bunch of cheesy music, it was a very quiet and like a uh, uh, subtle trailer. So and I think that that's how the movie plays out as well, too. One thing I was it's just like it's crazy that I was like, this is Ridley Scott's second second movie which is just crazy to me. I think it's like, it's beautifully shot. The It's just oozing with like, just character from him. I feel like this was maybe slightly, you know, Star, this came out two years after Star Wars. Feels like it, it could have potentially been a mimic of Star Wars, or maybe that's what he was pitching at the time when there was like, I guess a big sci-fi craze. Uh, but this is like taking what Star Wars was and basically stripping away everything that made it fun. and <laughs> just making it horrifying. And I think, that's, that's what makes it so iconic for the time, I think, is that you, you had such a fun idea and you really just turned it on its head.
2: I think one of the ways in which I have hamstrung myself coming into this conversation, you brought up very clearly there with talking about the first 10 minutes and how patient they are in building the set and the crew and really slowly dropping you into it. Because I watched for the first time the director's cut of Alien, when I came into doing this. Have either of you guys seen the director's cut?
0: I have not, unfortunately.
1: I don't... I just watched whatever was on Disney+. Plus,
0: So also not the director's cut. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's an odd duck,
2: because it wasn't cut together until 2003. And it was... So it was specifically cut together in the aftermath of the success of Aliens, which I'm sure we'll get into later. So it's actually, despite being a director's cut, shorter by a couple of minutes than the theatrical cut. And a lot of that is taken away from areas of pacing to produce something that feels more akin to the action atmosphere of Aliens than Alien, which to be honest, I didn't appreciate at all. And so I ended up going back to watch the original theatrical cut uh, as a result. And you can just, it, it's night and day when, when you look at that uh, really slow measured opening that just allows you to seep in this atmosphere and really, just uh, get to know the crew and get to know the ship. None of that's there in the in the director's cut. It's uh, it's much more snappy, getting straight to the point, and getting us there so that we can have an action fight with the alien.
0: Yeah, because wow. in the in the theatrical cut of this, I think it takes like ten minutes for John Hurt to wake up, and then it takes probably just over an hour before the alien starts hunting people on the on the Nostromo, which honestly when it actually happens feels way too fast when but before it happens it feels like it's fine and then just you, you know there's a shift halfway through the movie where it almost loses me for a second because it just becomes it goes from this like really interesting sort of like intrigue thriller to everyone's running from the alien and trying to incinerate it which it needs to eventually do. And it probably does that at the right point, but it's a very jarring shift.
2: It's a film that I'd put in the same category as From Dusk Till Dawn, uh, where the characters don't know that they're in an alien film uh, and they're not expecting it. And and it uh, Mm -hmm. it catches them by surprise and throws them into that. And again, that's something which is completely different in, in the director's cut, where you don't have that really measured opening of, yeah, 10 minutes until John Hurt wakes up but it's also much faster to get to the point where the alien is on board the ship and then there's more padding in the middle of it to sort of gradually uh, pull these fight scenes out or pull these uh, action scenes out with the alien to, uh, to, to, to give it more uh, of a fast-paced uh, edit. Very strange decision. But I can see why it would be done after the uh, success of Aliens and the kind of different direction that the franchise went in as a direct result.
0: Mm-hmm. I would definitely be skipping ahead to ask about the franchise cuz I want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that just yet cuz I want to I want to focus on the first movie, but like I think there's a lot of foreshadowing here. Like there's I think it's I think it's very very interesting, I'll say, the alien became uh what? 7 8 movie franchise because watching this movie one thing I can see that there is enough open that it is possible to make a sequel, but it's one of those movies where it feels very complete. It's it's a it's a horror it's one of those horror movies, kind of like The Thing, actually, where at the end you can see that the threat is still there, but it doesn't feel like there needs to be another movie made about it. So it's it's very weird to me that this is something that was like that became a sequel. I'm really I did not look up. Any of the production for Aliens for this, but now I'm wishing I had because uh, I feel like there's another universe out there where James Cameron just never decided that he wanted to make Aliens, and so there never was a sequel to Alien, and it just didn't continue. Which I will reserve passing judgment on that universe, but I we'll think get that. We'll I get think that. it's. Yeah, we'll get there. I think it's interesting that this became a franchise. and I mean, um, You've given me
2: existential nightmares on the concept of a world in which there are eight The Thing movies. Oh, God, <laughs> it would be horrendous.
0: Well, the second one would obviously be called Things. <laughs> um, so I guess, like, just because we brought it up a bit by now, what were your main takeaways, Mark, from watching the director's cut and then the theatrical cut of this again? I think you've mentioned it a little bit, but.
2: Absolutely, atmosphere is definitely one of the problems with it, or less atmosphere, more tone, I guess, that that it's aiming for something more fast paced and something less um, uh, submersive as Alien. You you get so involved in in the life of the crew in that first hour. And you really understand them. Pierre was mentioning the, uh, the, the the casting in this, but the it's such a wonderful ensemble piece that really only becomes about Ripley because everybody else dies. She doesn't come across in that first hour as the protagonist who is going to save the day and uh, and, and lead us to an alien-free future. Uh, she's just mm-hmm. the last one left. Um, the other thing in the director's cut, which kind of I which I actually prefer is the egg morphing scene. Are you familiar with the egg morphing scene from the director's cut? I am not. You know, famously there is no alien queen in Alien. That was something that was introduced later. And so the life cycle right. of the xenomorph is, is expanded upon in later films, certainly in Alien 3 as well. But in the first Alien film, uh, when Brett and Dallas are both killed by the alien, they are captured alive and slowly turned into alien eggs by a process of egg morphing, which the xenomorph is capable of doing to turn people into eggs who are taken alive and sort of taken captive, which is kind of a controversial concept, but to me, makes more sense as a life cycle for this creature than having an a, a, a queen xenomorph who lays a thousand eggs, then it produces all these drones who are incapable of reproducing on their own, who just go around killing things random without capturing anybody because then what's what's the next cycle after that the drone kills or the, the drones plural kill everything in the in the vicinity the rest of those eggs don't get populated and that's the end of it they can't reproduce on their own they need a host so if the aliens are sorry if the xenomorph drones are capturing people to turn them into eggs themselves they aren't so reliant upon the queen and are potentially more capable of creating those eggs in other, in other areas outside of just wherever the queen has laid a thousand of them. And it kind
0: of makes more sense to me. Do you know which is canon? <laughs> like, I don't know how much I care about that normally, but I'm, I'm curious based on what you just said.
2: I'm not familiar with the extended alien universe. I'm familiar with the films. I certainly haven't played any of the games. I assume there are books, but I don't know of any, or manga or that sort of thing. So I don't know if egg morphing is something which has been expanded upon in the extended universe. But from certainly from aliens onwards, that no longer becomes canon. And so they're no longer gotcha. interested in that as a, 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 as a reproduction method.
1: I, I feel like gotcha. there's like three camps of alien canon people because I think there's people that assume alien to alien four or whatever actually there's probably a lot more alien like alien to alien four is Canon I think some consider Ridley Scotts movies to be the only one in the Canon because I think like if you look at Prometheus and alien Covenant they line up with the 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 lore of alien but not aliens and the others um and then there's people that think alien versus predator is also part, part of the <laughs> part of the canon too which that one's a lot tougher to believe but i think it's possible you know you never it's a something of,
0: like let's 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 be real alien stretch, versus is but... you know it's it's the third best movie in the aliens franchise at the same time it's like it's not it, it doesn't it doesn't make a lot of sense in canon
2: so i would say that all i know we're getting distracted onto the wider alien canon almost immediately <laughs> so apologies for pulling this onto this line uh i would say that both Alien versus Predator and Prometheus are disappointing to me in their expansion of the canon because they keep the ultimate design of the xenomorph the same. My perspective on the xenomorph being so close in design in terms of the visuals to um, the engineer that we see dead in the abandoned planet is that that's because the, only, the xenomorphs we've seen have just been chest-bursted from the last en- engineer. And I, would, I know that ultimately they're the same designers because H.R. Geiger designed them both at the same time when he was in the same mindset and had the same extremely disturbing sexual imagery going around his head and so sort of created mm-hmm. looking kind of creatures. But with xenomorphs taking on aspects of their host, something that makes them so... Something that works so well out the film is how alien everything is and how inscrutable to itself it is. So that xenomorph that we're seeing in Alien, to me, could be a thousand generations down the line from the original xenomorph and looks nothing like what they originally did, but it's just picked up aspects of each one of its hosts along the line and taken them on through. So when you come to the xenomorphs, which are in Aliens and Alien 3, okay, it's okay that they look quite similar because actually it's the same planet and they look the same because they're very close in the genealogy, which is fine. But in something like Prometheus, which is which is purporting to be the original xenomorph, the fact that it looks recognizably like a xenomorph is so boring to me because surely the original xenomorph, a thousand generations before the Nostromo, we would have no idea what it would look like. It might not even walk. It could fly. We've got no idea.
0: Don't they address that very, very briefly in Alien Covenant? Alien Covenant obviously still has the same basic design for the xenomorph, but I think there's a scene where Michael Fassbender is talking to Michael Fassbender about making aliens And I think he does mention something along those lines. Well, at least he, like, explains how the xenomorph is supposed to work. And it does talk about taking on aspects of its hosts. It just, at that point, you know, the humans are the people that have found the planet. So at that point, all its hosts are humans. So we assume that, I guess it's sort of implying that the xenomorph that we've seen is the human xenomorph.
2: That's interesting, but that still implies... That, that implies that a xenomorph has like 90% of its own characteristics and takes on 10% from a human or 10% from a dog or 10% of, of, of an engineer. Whereas my vision of it, or I did, this is just, we're talking entirely about my headcanon now, but my vision of it was always that it's an evolving, a constantly evolving process. And that, mm-hmm. you know, it, 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 the, uh, uh, A couple of generations down the line it'll start to look indistinguishable from how it originally was because it just starts to take all these things on and keep them in its DNA and then move on to the next one
0: uh moving very far away from canon at the moment (laughs) do you guys think I guess like (laughs) when you were watching this what do you guys think of like even the sequel potential for this movie because when I watched this I didn't uh, I re this having seen lots of other stuff in the Aliens universe. And then I rewatched, or not rewatched, and then I watched Aliens after this. Clearly there is there are sequels to this, but watching this and re-watching it and re-watching it again, at no point did this seem like a movie that felt like a sequel would even make sense originally, which I think. That's probably not an insignificant part of the reason that it took six years to make a sequel after this, because a sequel just isn't, not that a sequel can't happen to this movie, it clearly did, but a sequel just like isn't a natural evolution of this movie.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, And I think that the craziest decision when deciding to make a sequel to this, if that was something that one wanted to do because they own the rights, uh, was to continue to include Ripley because something that's so great about Alien is that um, uh, that ensemble cast and that Ripley's not special compared to any of the other cast members. The only thing that she really does that sort of sets her apart from her crewmates is to make the decision not to let Dallas and John Hurt in uh, once John Hurt is infected and she's overridden by um, the android, Ian Holm, whose name I've forgotten. Uh, Ash, Ash, well done. She's not special when it comes to fighting aliens. She's saved multiple times through teamwork and luck. She originally agreed to be the one to go through the air vents to find the alien, but Dallas overruled her, and if he hadn't done that, she would have died in the air vents. And when Ash turned on her and revealed his true. Um, in intentions. If Parker hadn't come to hit him in the back, then she would have got choked to death by Ash. She's not special in that way. So the idea that in Aliens, when space marines are going off to fight the xenomorphs, that they say, oh, we need to bring Ripley along. That, to me, is absolute nonsense. Why? She, she's a trucker. She's a, she's a space trucker. She's just here to take mining materials from point A to point B, and she got extremely lucky the first time around. She, she isn't special when it comes to fighting aliens. Uh, Although...
0: So- in Aliens, they do explain why they needed to take Ripley along. It's a bullshit explanation, it but it does—it is an explanation.
2: It is. It's there. It's there so that you can, um, so that you can justify continuing to continuing to have Sigourney Weaver in the film. Mm-hmm. Which is fair enough um, because she's Sigourney Weaver.
0: True. I was actually surprised to learn that this was essentially her first film role. She'd been in a few things before this, but this was, like, her breakout role. Uh, and it's and a, I think it might have been the breakout for John Hurt, too. I don't know that for certain.
2: Yeah, when you watch it now, John Hurt being often the first, or being the first one to go, plays as a bit of a plot twist. Like, well, we, we had mm. John Hurt, but, you know, hey, he's he's the first one to go. But at the time, I guess that wasn't the case. At, at the time, I guess John Hurt wasn't... Um, wasn't who he is today or who he was today. But it's interesting to see the that alien original trilogy as a progression of Sigourney Weaver's career. Where in the first mm. one, one of her first roles and she's nobody, and then by Alien 3 she had way too much influence on production and all these crazy ideas about what she wanted to do with it. Did you know that in Alien 3 she wanted to have sex with the Xenomorph? Uh no, I did not know that. <laughs> that was something that she wanted and she fought with the producers. She lost on that one, but she managed to keep the there were no guns on the planet um, plot line because she apparently was very against guns at that point in her career and didn't want to be in any films with guns in them. Uh, so she's the reason why there were no guns on a prison planet.
0: I mean, wow. okay.
1: Those are things I didn't <laughs> want to know about it. <laughs> I, I just don't like. To, to me, I feel like my head canon is just alien 1 and alien 2 or aliens i guess i i think i, I do agree i, I actually okay i disagree on the fact that i think alien was actually very open to a sequel i do agree that it probably shouldn't have been ripley because like you said I, like a big part of why that movie works is that like they're all just normal people trying their best um i think uh, i think the problem with like, i like the concept of prometheus and alien covenant i think they're both just very messy visions um and i i think they they really try to get into like it, alien was never like a uh like it's not a very deep movie it's a it's a bunch of guys like these truckers in space that get killed because they they fucked up basically there's there's some there's some not so subtle like anti-capitalism uh, messaging there, but but then when you go into Prometheus and Alien Covenant, they they get into like the meaning of life and playing God and like 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 your uh, like your our like our relationships with like like our parents, I guess our creators. There's there's so many weird layers to that that it gets very convoluted. But I think just a, a simple sequel with like a little backstory to uh, you know the ship they found on that planet. Or, uh, or furthering, you know, the, the idea of the engineers would have been cool, um, but it feels like Ridley Scott kind of started those ideas and he killed them immediately with Alien Covenant when he killed all the engineers, like kind of off screen or <laughs> not off screen, but like in like a flashback 30 second sequence, which was very odd. Um, but, you know, I, I think there, there is something here. It, it sets up a very beautiful world or interesting world, you know, um, like Ridley Scott. you look at Blade Runner just a couple years later he's an amazing visual director and world builder and you know that's a big part of what makes this movie work I don't know he 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 brought like a uh, a a simplicity to it too which I really like I the one thing I will say about this movie though is that the visual effects I think feel very dated on on real I think actually no I don't think I've ever really enjoyed the visual effects in this movie the alien to me never stuck out to me very well, if I'm going to be honest, at least in the wide, the wider shots. The close-ups of, like, the second mouse sticking out are all actually pretty good. But, um, like, the space shots and, yeah, wide shots, no, not so much.
2: It's the visual design of the alien and the effects used to bring it together to make the whole film work for me, you know. I, I, I think it's so incredible for 1970s technology uh, with just a couple of... You know, dropped balls here and there. There's one shot in particular when Dallas is in the uh, is in the air vents, and the alien gets him, uh, and it reaches out towards the camera in a quick cutaway shot. And as soon as you see it, you go, "That's a guy in a rubber suit." Just, 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 just for a moment, just for a second, that was definitely a man in a rubber suit. That wasn't an alien.
0: Yeah, but um, I guess correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I agree with Mark here that like the visual effects in most of the movie are. I, I think, really, really impressive. Not necessarily the alien all the time. I don't mind the alien. Certainly that's really good where it works. But, like, where, where ash explodes into milk and oatmeal yes. uh, looks really gross, but also, like, I don't know what it mean what it would look like for an android to actually get cut in half, but like it would probably I, I think it would look like that. Very much so,
2: yeah. And, the the, the uh, scene where they're interrogating Ash's head on the table and it's just dripping with milk. I mean, that's a, mm-hmm. a, a, a such a specific vision of how that scene would work, but it's gorgeous.
0: Yeah, that and the the scene where John Hurt dies. I don't know. See, I think the 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 alien scenes to me, I don't mind them. I think they're fine. Uh, But I think that the real... The the things that are really, really impressive about this movie to me, especially in the visual effects realm, are like those scenes um, basically of people dying that are like that. Like Like Ash dying, John Hurt dying. Those are such... uh, Weirdly specific visions that are executed so incredibly well that um, those those stick with me like a lot afterwards.
2: Especially for how much the violence is is off screen for large amounts of it. People like Brett's death and Dallas's death being relatively, you know, quick cutaways. I've seen some clips on YouTube, especially for Brett's death in the cooling towers when Harry Dean Stanton dies. Um, where they his head is crushed by the xenomorph, uh, and it's especially gory and bloody and, uh, and, uh, and, and and really gross for the time in terms of the visual effects for the 70s and like the pre-80s era. Um, but yeah, I think getting rid of those and just keeping it so so sleek and simple was mm-hmm. my decision.
0: There's a few deaths in there too that happen like Parker and Lambert, you didn't mention, but those also mm-hmm. happen basically off screen. And Lambert's death, especially, always rubs me really the wrong way. Like, I watch it and I just get really, really grossed out because it's entirely off screen. But the stuff right before it is like very much from the Alfred Hitchcock school of anything you can think of is going to be worse than anything we can show. And Lambert's death really, really irks me because they show like a lot, very, a lot right before, and then they don't show the death, but you can like. Kind of picture it and it's awful
2: and other than just the uh the visual effects for this stuff the production design of the film is is really stand out the, the the design of that ship and the design of the control room for it and for mother uh and the uh the the escape pod that they're using it's also tactile and dirty and grounded it feels so lived in and real that it fits with that kind of working class aesthetic that they're going for in this just you know yeah being space trucking that, uh, that, that they're going through uh, as opposed to the kind of sleek clean alien ships that you see or spacefaring ships that you see uh, in a lot of other material from the era certainly you compare it to star wars with the those opening scenes as vader comes into uh, to arrest leia and it's all white and clean uh, there's none of that in this film. It's just so uh, so so much more tactile.
0: At the same time, it does sort of remind me. It, it sort of makes me think of the difference between the Star Wars original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. Because if you think of the prequel trilogy, you've got these very sleek ships that were all CGI, obviously. But there's like no rough edges on them. They're like spheres that fly through space. And if you look, and if you think back to the very first shot of. Um, of a new hope you've got that extremely large ship that basically looks like the industrial uh, district of a city on the bottom yeah. with all the weird edges and like none of it really looks practical, but it all looks necessary somehow. And that is what the Nostromo looks like to me. And that's kind of the vibe I get from this entire movie production design wise for the whole movie where with star Wars, that's like the first scene. And then when they go back to the empire, that's sort of the thematic visuals of the, em- the, the visual theming of the empire, but it's in contrast to Tatooine and well, basically just Tatooine at that point.
1: I I thought, uh I mean, I, I think at certain points, star Wars, star Wars feels pretty lived in, but I, I, the, uh, you're right. The, the, that... There, I think there was an idea at the time of I was a Star. I feel like Star Trek. they have very clean sets? It's like very, they they saw the future as very pristine. Yeah, that's that fair.
2: especially in the original series. It's all very clean. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, it, it's a it's a great contrast, and I think I think also you know they it, it, you said it it's it helps set the fact that these are like work these are blue collar working class. Uh, people i think that it helps a lot with the believability too like um in the other movies they're all like supposed to be scientists i'm pretty like in prometheus they're all like like the earth's best scientists and they do like really stupid things in that movie and you 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 shake your head a lot because it's just like like it doesn't make it like you can't have a horror movie with extremely smart people basically or at least advertises extremely smart people so that, that is that is a big part of what makes this movie work
0: uh, sorry, I was just going to say in this movie, in Alien, it's extremely suspect. Like the first thing that we're, the first hint that we get that Ash might not be on everyone else's side is the fact that he's the science officer and also acting rashly. So in later movies, when you get science officers, when you get exclusively science officers and all of them are acting rashly, it's like, it kind of diminishes that a bit because now you can't use that as a barometer of who's evil, where that's very important in the first Alien. Evil is a stretch, but still.
2: Another difference between the director's cut and the theatrical cut, which is to the detriment of the director's cut to a, to a significant degree, is that multiple times when John Hurt is on the ship, both before and after the facehugger is on him, People will say, Why don't we just freeze him now and take him home? Mm. And with with that being with the specter of that idea being brought up so regularly and repeatedly, it does make you go, Yeah, that's an extremely viable option. Why don't you just freeze him and then leave him there until you have proper medical equipment and doctors on hand to be able to deal with this issue? Arguably that would have made it worse if you brought the xenomorph back to Earth, but it's still a valid suggestion. <laughs>
1: And well, so having I wonder everybody
2: the, say it so much,
1: it's a problem. I, I wonder if the Xenomorph, do, I don't know much about aliens. Do, would the Xenomorph has still come out if he was if he was frozen.
2: Not sure. Not sure. And I, I guess that would have killed everybody if there's if the if the Xenomorph is capable of getting out while they're all asleep uh, in uh,
0: on ice. then yeah, they've got no chance. <laughs> Although, like, I don't know, I don't know, were they bringing the alien back to Earth? Because that's the implication in the first movie. But the implication from later movies is that they, you know, there's the possibility of stopping somewhere halfway.
2: Yeah, they do mention that they're going to a stopping-off planet. Actually, don't they? Yeah. So it wouldn't have been Earth, I guess. It would have been this uh, this this other
0: sort of stopping-off planet. There's a couple of other things that really stood out to me for this. I was curious specifically because you tend to have very good opinions on music. So I was wondering what you thought of the music of this movie, Mark.
2: It's really restrained and stripped back in Alien in a way that one of the many problems with Aliens is that sort of bombastic James Horner score, uh, which is way too much uh, for, 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 for what they're going for. The Alien score is so restrained and symphonic um that it, it it goes for that kind of musical wallpaper aesthetic that i know that uh, john carpenter used to used to pitch for his scores to be ne- never to be the center of attention always to be decoration for for, for for what is happening in the scene and i think that's the right decision when so much of the rest of the film is drawing attention to itself with this wonderful production design and and, and really creative alien design and uh you know and, and, and a lot of the sort of the the, the claustrophobic horror of it being you know, really drawing your attention in you wouldn't want too much of a memorable score for this uh beyond beyond what's necessary for the scene
0: i'd read that originally ridley scott had wanted it to be basically even more low well potentially even more low-key because he'd, he'd had someone in mind who i'm blanking on the name at the moment but it was a at the time, here we go, uh, he'd been looking to... He'd really wanted Isao Tomita, who was a Japanese uh, electronic musician, uh, who I, at the time I don't think had worked in film basically at all, but Fox was pushing for John Williams, so you have two extremely different ends of the spectrum there. They eventually settled on Jerry Goldsmith, who originally, uh, again, from, from what I've read originally didn't go for that musical wallpaper thing and just sort of did it it almost sounds like out of spite and it ended up working at the end uh, like he he submitted his score and Ridley Scott didn't like it and so he just did something weird and everyone loved it is what is the to hear him tell it:
2: I heard that um, substantial quantities of the original score were cut from the film itself and so there's a lot more music that has been written for it and so that would make sense if he if he, if he went out spitefully to write this crazy stuff uh and it was uh yeah and, and really scott cut so much of it to uh, to strip it back that would make a lot of sense
0: yeah it says here scott and goldsmith were at odds throughout the movie scott thought goldsmith's first contra- composition was too extravagant and he wanted something minimalist and actually used some of Howard Hanson's Symphony Number no. Two for the finale, which Goldsmith was not super enthused about. Excellent, excellent. I uh,
1: yeah, I love the I, I well I, I actually can't even remember the score of that like it's very at, at least at the start it's very subtle, but I think that's where I like mm-hmm. loved it the most. Where um, I, I feel like you would just hear like, kind of like the the I don't know is it the strum of a violin. <laughs> whatever that's called, like once in a while. But yeah, like the, I think the absence of music in some very, and a lot of the tension building was really smart too. I feel like that restraint is pretty hard to get, especially when like, you know, nothing was happening in the movie, right? It was, I feel like a lot of directors might try to fill some of that with like, you know, some more interesting music just to, you know, keep the audience engaged a little more. But just just having it be that, that void of like anything for like, like for so long was like is is a very impressive choice I would say
0: when when the music isn't doing anything like isn't doing anything bombastic when it's like very low-key like that it really makes you tune in more to uh to the movie um to some degree and when the movie also isn't doing anything it really ramps up the tension because when there's nothing happening but you're paying attention and you're like really dialed in it makes it mean so much more when something actually does happen. So, you know, there's all these little moments that in a different movie might not even be that, like, might not even make that much of a difference, would just be little moments. But here they become, like, really big, memorable scenes. Like, literally the scene, which, actually, if I remember my reading right, right, may not be in the director's cut in the same way. The scene where Ripley is not wanting to let them into back into the ship. That's a tiny scene that ends up being extremely tense when it actually happens yeah. because nothing's happening.
2: You remove, so. that, you remove those non-diegetic elements and it keeps mm-hmm. you in the claustrophobia of the film. When so much mm-hmm. of it is done visually, it's great that it's kind of reinforced with the audio. Um, mm-hmm. Because I read that when creating this film, as great as those sets look, they were extremely cramped, tiny sets compared to what you would expect them to be visually. And so, so much of it is shot handheld to allow for that, and just done as steady as they can, um, which which is which is adding to that claustrophobia of it and uh, and locking you into the situation with those characters. Yeah, so pulling back on non-digest elements like the score is going to help with that. And again, and actually- you compare it to. Bloody aliens with that stupid James Horner score—the most complex and modernistic <laughs> thing he could write. It's unnecessary; doesn't need to be like that.
0: Um, but actually, you mentioned—you mentioned just now that like a lot of it was shot handheld, and I thought that one thing that really stuck out to me—the um, the, the time that just now that I rewatched it, like the second time I rewatched it for this episode—is um, so there's a lot of really interesting shots in this movie. Like, it it already looks great from a cinematography perspective, but there's a lot of shots that are just like really confusing to me and maybe, I don't know, it, it's it's definitely that I'm looking too much into it. But there's, uh, the one that really stri- um, sticks out to me is early on, I think it's early on, I think John Hurt is in the med bay and he's got the face hugger on him. And there's a shot where it's a tracking shot that goes from looking at John Hurt, circles around the room to looking at Ash, whose actor's name I've forgotten now, but like circles around the room to get to him and he's just working on a computer. And there's no specific reason that that should be a tracking shot, at least in context. So it's so weird to me like what is this trying to portray? What is what is the meaning of this shot? And there's there's that one that's the one that sticks out to me. But there's a few of those where it'll be like this big shot that feels like it's in someone's perspective, but at least from the context of the movie thus far, we don't know whose perspective that is and it doesn't really make sense that it's anyone's. So it's really there's a lot of uh there's a few shots like that that are to me both really interesting shots and also really interesting directorial choices. Cause like, what are you trying to convey with this? Is this saying like, is this somehow the perspective of the alien or of the cat, or is it not a perspective at all? Is it just showing us something and you've just made this very weird call, which if so, awesome. But like, I find it difficult to believe that you would make, random that you would make choices like that randomly and there's a few of those in this movie
2: it's definitely a um as Pierre was saying that this is this is only his second film adds a lot to this because it doesn't feel like something which is being created by someone who has done this all before and knows what works and what doesn't work and is uh, is rehashing things from his work like it feels like someone who's making these strange decisions like those tracking shots um, because they're still working it out as they go, rather than that like master of their craft kind of thing, where everything feels so assured and stable. Um, mm-hmm. It gives something; it adds something to the film when you can see someone who is still uh, who is still perfecting his craft.
0: Yeah, and I think like the answer to the question whose perspective is this? If there was an answer fifty years ago, and he's forgotten it by now, like that. Like, that's just as good. I I like that option as well. Because, like, you know, he's he's figuring stuff out. And if he's got these weird, I, I like the idea of him making these weird little choices that end up working, but introduce interesting questions that may not have answers. Or that if they do have answers, maybe those are really cool answers that we'll never hear about.
1: I feel like he, he realized that when he was making Prometheus <laughs> that he really didn't have an explanation for a lot of the things he didn't do.
2: <laughs> but that's part of what works about alien is that this whole thing is so alien and is so un- ineffable to the characters. There are so many questions that they, that they just don't get answers to. They don't know who's made that distress call. They don't know who the engineer is. They don't know why Weyland-Yutani wants an alien. They don't know anything about this situation. It's all outside of the scope of their knowledge. And so, having no answers adds to it and makes it scarier. And then, trying to go back in and retrospectively fill in those answers, to me, is a bad decision. You don't want these things explained, you want them
0: mysterious. I'm, I'm reminded of my least favorite thing that ever happened in Star Wars, which is showing the Kessel run in solo. Mm. Yeah, I think that necessary. was the worst decision maybe ever made by humankind <laughs> to show the Kessel run in solo. You but, can't allow uh, it you can't allow
2: it to be a fun throwaway line that implies a wider universe outside of the one we're seeing and a lived in experience. You have to explain everything.
0: Yeah. I hated that so much but i noticed you said something there which was not in the film alien you mentioned the Wayland yutani corporation which was not mentioned in alien if i remember correctly which leads us to the wider universe i think like we've been talking about alien for long enough like maybe we can maybe we can expand a little bit out to the universe uh alien obviously uh, was not content to just win one Academy Award. It became a uh, franchise that's been going on for almost 50 years now, not fully continuously, but I think it's up to eight entries now. So pretty significant franchise. It's uh, it used to be a big theme park at Universal Studio, a theme park ride at Universal Studios or maybe it was Disney World. I can't remember which one. Uh, so you know, it's, it's a pretty major force outside of just that one that one movie that, uh, to hear people describe it at the time, studio execs were a little worried was going to be perceived as a B-movie. And all of a sudden, it's become... Well, not all of a sudden, but somehow, 50 years later, it's... I don't want to say one of the biggest franchises ever, because it's not, but it is one of the bigger sci-fi franchises Currently active in Hollywood,
2: and so... yet, and yet, I can say before I say this that I don't, I haven't seen every piece of Alien content. Uh, I haven't played Alien: Isolation, which I hear is very good, and I understand that there's some manga for this stuff, which is fairly decent. So I, I can't say it confidently, but from my experience, the only great thing in Alien is Alien. There has not been, and I don't think there ever will be another great Alien film outside of the original.
0: I, I guess, like, while we're giving disclaimers, I will say that I did enjoy Alien vs. Predator, but I would agree with your assessment. Like, the only things in alien, in the franchise that I've, like, enjoyed have been Alien and Alien vs. Predator, and the only one of those that's, like, actually really, really good is Alien. Alien vs. Predator just has a soft spot in my heart. It's understandable.
2: Pi, what are yours?
1: Uh, I actually, I I really like Aliens. I'm not gonna lie. I've only seen it once. I need to watch it again. But I'm a big James Cameron fan, so, uh, yeah. I think Alien, like everything else, is. Pre- I I actually okay. I don't mind Prometheus. Um, I th- I think I do think it's, it's. I respect how how bold <laughs> it is, and how it you know it makes. Makes a lot of choices that I never would have like thought the Alien franchise would go into, but I guess I respect that Ridley Scott was like okay. I don't like how he was trying to make it so much deeper than Alien was, but I do respect that he was he was trying to do so much off of the back of this like relatively small horror flick he made like forty years like forty years ago, and he's like you know what I'm gonna make this a franchise about the meaning of life now. Like that, I think that's a bold, it's a bold statement to make by him, and I don't think it worked. But I respect Prometheus as a movie, I guess.
2: I think that's uh, true so. of a lot of eighties franchises or eighties films that went on to become franchises. Is that they were simple, self-contained things like Predator or The Terminator. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark to an extent. It, it, they don't require an outside universe to be built around them. They're, they're fairly simple things that didn't require that. But I will agree with you that I respect Prometheus more than I like it. I, I respect him swinging for the fences and really going for it. I just don't think that it
0: works. And I will say that like the stuff where he really, really goes for it in Prometheus and Alien, Co- Alien Covenant, basically all the Michael Fassbender scenes where Michael Fassbender is just musing on the meaning of life, those really work for me. The movie around that, not as much, but like, I really, really like like Michael Fassbender's character in those, uh, in those movies is probably my favorite character in the franchise alien. Really? Despite the fact that like the only movie I actually like is not one that features him at all.
1: Oh, I was going to say Michael Fassbender really just chews scenery in those movies. He's like, he's like the one he's, it's like he's acting in like a completely different movie. And he doesn't like, and everyone else is just like, this is a stupid little action blockbuster. And he's like, no, this is, I'm going to win an Oscar for this or something. Like he's really going for it.
0: And Um, Alien Covenant did give us the most iconic scene in cinema where Michael Fassbender talks to Michael Fassbender and teaches Michael Fassbender to play the flute. But the way that he teaches it to him is he says, you just blow, I'll do the fingering, which is the most iconic scene in cinema, as far as I'm concerned
2: the most uncomfortably sexual thing in Alien since Alien.
0: Yeah, actually.
2: (laughs) But Aliens, I, I do understand why people like it. I get it. I think that it's fundamentally a mistake to turn a classic horror built around claustrophobia and terror and a fear of the unknown into an action blockbuster. I just don't think those two things work at all. I think the mindset that led them to say that the way to make the Xenomorph scarier is to make it bigger and to make one that is 15 foot tall is is both a, is both untrue. That's not how you make the Xenomorph the, the any scarier than it was. Not that you need to make the Xenomorph Zen, the scarier in Alien. It's plenty scary. But that's the mindset that they were working with of just that bigger is better. Um, but when you get to the ending and Ripley's in a mech suit fighting a 15 foot tall alien, there's there's no tension for me in that scene at all compared to a scene where they're going through an air vent and you've got no idea where, where this thing is, but it's in there somewhere. That's, that's untouchable compared to Ripley in a mech suit.
0: I think to me, it makes sense to follow Alien up with a sequel that takes things in a radically different direction, and I think about as radically different as you can go from a claustrophobic horror movie is a Space Marines like action movie. So I get it, but I think that for me, when I re when I watched Aliens, it was an action movie on an alien planet featuring a bunch of you know faceless goons. I guess I mean aliens, whatever. Versus the sort of intensely claustrophobia and character driven alien where so alien worked a lot more for me as a really good horror movie than aliens did as an action movie i feel like i've just seen way better action movies and i don't get what's special about aliens other than that it is radically different from alien which again i feel like that's a that makes sense if you want to do a sequel to this movie that yes has sequ- has like open questions there's things you can answer with a sequel but i don't know how you like what would make sense immediately what would be the obvious choice to make a sequel so like going in a different direction just makes sense uh, and i think i'm rambling at this point but like i think, I think you're right
2: that, you're right that- if they tried to make another space horror, they would never have come close to making Alien. So so mm-hmm. trying to give you what they've already given you again, they're going to fail o- o- on, those, on those terms if they attempt yeah. to do it again. As I guess they ultimately did in Alien 3. Although I will defend Alien 3 and say that it's unfairly maligned. There's a lot that I really, really like in Alien 3. Uh, I love their, how many iconic elements from the alien lore are still being introduced in Alien 3. That idea that xenomorphs are taking on elements of their host is only really introduced in Alien 3, and it actually retro- retroactively makes Alien better by those few moments where you can tell that it's a man in a rubber suit suddenly aren't a problem because you go, okay, well, of course the alien's humanoid. It's just chest bursted out of an alien, uh, out, out of a human, sorry. Mm -hmm. um and so it 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 kind of smooths those problems over to go okay well when one comes out of a dog it's quadrupedal and and less human you get the death of ripley in it which was never reversed obviously because there was never an alien force so that's that's pretty amazing (laughs) Uh, and the conversation with um with bishop when he's all torn to pieces on the on the dumpster pile is incredible that shot of an alien's face right next to Ripley's terrified face, that only comes in in Alien 3. There's a lot of iconic stuff in Alien 3
0: that gets overlooked. I was originally going to watch Alien 3 today, but I felt that I should make sure that Alien was fresh on my mind, so I only watched <laughs> the one. And now I'm, now I'm regretting it just a little bit.
2: It's not perfect. It's not perfect by any degree. Although, in fairness, having re-watched Alien now for the first time since my early 20s, I think it's fair to say that Alien's not perfect either, in the way that I once thought that it was. It's still a classic, and I'll still defend it as a classic, but there are definitely a few, a few odd touches in there that don't particularly work. Most notably, that cat. Why is that cat on a mining spaceship? And why does it... So, maybe the least probable cute animal survival of a film since Roland Emmerich came around.
0: Now hold on. I think there's a reason for the cat too.
2: Oh my hold god, on. there's a reason for the cat. It just it felt
0: not not like a not like, like a war reason.
1: It felt like a, a cheap way to up the tension a bit. And like and also how how much of like the character's like motivation or like actions is just around finding the cat? Like we get <laughs> one guy dies looking for the cat for like 10 minutes. Which was such a weird it was a very extended like like he was very casually looking for that cat, despite there being, I guess the alien was very small. He he hadn't seen the alien grown, so he wasn't too scared at the time. Um, well, and there like was he that, wasn't and not also paid yeah, more mistakes.
2: shares. That's it. The man needs his shares. The man needs his shares. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I kind of liked the cat. I thought it was a it was a cute, a cute bit of levity and uh, in a very dark movie, I guess. And it it was very odd how. It was very cute how they all really loved that cat, um, despite you know being in the. How did was the cat in cryo sleep too? How does that work? Like, yeah, it puts the cat in cryo sleep. Yeah. Wow, okay. so uh... <laughs> it seems like a very odd. Like you think this company would would wouldn't want to put the budget for cryo sleeping a cat for multiple months at a time, but. Hey, like, well it's, it's not like, an extra budget right?
0: because the cat fits in with one of the uh crewmates like it's not. Oh, I see. It's, it right. doesn't require its own thing
1: but like did, did they wake so, up with the cat like at the start yeah like in, yes. in their arms oh okay okay
0: i guess disclaimer my information right now comes from wikipedia but uh ships cats are a common feature of ships a lot of the times people will often bring a cat to control rodents on ships uh I don't know if the Nostromo needs to control rodents in the same way as like uh, 16th century sailing vessels, but that's where, the sh- that's where the idea of the ship's cat comes from and that's what Jones was, is a ship's cat.
2: Very briefly, there was a tiny xenomorph that it could have chased and Jones was not keeping up with the workload. There was one time that we needed Jones in that film. It did not keep up.
0: wasn't a very good ship's cat. Just
1: no. was a ship's cat. <laughs> the cry, the cryosleep really took it out of him. I and mean, that's why <laughs> you, need, you need to wake up more or something.
2: And if there's any other problem in Alien, uh, something that really took me out of it in the very last scene uh, was Sigourney Weaver changing into her underwear for the last fight or for, for before she gets into the spacesuit. Pretty much just so that they can have Sigourney Weaver in her underwear. There's no justification for for, 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 <laughs> for, for for that scene being in there. It's just there so that we can see Sigourney Weaver in her pants.
0: Isn't she about to get into cryosleep at that point?
2: You can get into cryosleep in your clothes. Can you? I see no reason why not.
0: Oh, fair enough. Okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe you need to <laughs> maybe you need to be in your underwear for cryosleep. I I couldn't remember. I thought that like John Hurt yeah, woke were... up in his underpants.
1: They woke up in like these big diapers, from what I remember. Um, at the start at least. I I feel like I I'm trying to think, like, if you just saw a bunch of people get killed on your ship and you were about to go to sleep, would the first would your first thought be, I need to, I need to take my clothes off before I go <laughs> like would, would you wanna be more comfortable going in a sleep Or like would you wanna go into it right away? Like, that's actually like something I gotta think about now. Like.
0: Well, you know, they never explain like what, explain, what I like, would
1: do in that situation.
0: They never explain like the mechanics of cryosleep. So, like maybe maybe they have to go into their skivvies to be in sky- in cryosleep, or maybe yeah. not. Like maybe they can go in in their in their clothes, but they can't go in in like a full spacesuit. So you know, you want to be in. Yeah.
2: Well, it's like time travel in Terminator.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think in alien covenant. They're they're in like these jumpsuits, but see if in alien covenant if that chick went into her underwear she might have had a chance to find out if it was david or walter or whoever his name was the android so i now if i'm ever in space i'm going to take off my underwear or taking (laughs) off i'm going to take off my clothes and uh make sure i'm not about to be killed by an alien before I, i go into cryosleep because i think that was the difference is that if she didn't go to her underwear, then maybe she would have been killed by the alien before after she went into sleep. So, That's yeah, she she it.
2: she needed to so that she could uh, find the xenomorph hiding in the uh, hiding as a stolen.
1: <laughs> is the xenomorph trying to hide in that scene, or like?
2: I believe so. Yeah, there's an implied okay. level of intelligence to the xenomorph that when it kills Parker and Lambert, and Ripley comes to see. That it's blocking the way to the escape pod and she goes to try and turn the bombs back off Uh, when it disappears when she comes back in after failing to turn the bomb off yeah the fact the fact that it is it's aware that the ship is being self-destructed and is trying to escape alongside ripley that adds something to it to me that it has that level of intelligence because otherwise it's just a like a mindless beast
1: so i was probably hoping she would go to sleep before he did anything essentially i guess or sure. Hoping she would steer it back to because I guess <laughs> now I, I want to see the alien drive the shuttle back, like <laughs> get in the driver's seat. <laughs> that start. was
0: originally in Ridley Scott's original ending for this, which the studio like hard vetoed. The alien uh killed everyone and piloted the ship. Excellent,
2: I would watch that film.
1: <laughs> I, I would just watch two hours of the alien driving and like maybe stopping by a gas station on the way back, (laughs) grabbing some chips. It's always amazing to me how
2: many classics were this close to having a disastrous decision made somewhere along the line. (laughs) And how many other films could potentially have been considered classics had it just not been for the director having a crazy decision at the end to have the alien drive the spaceship home.
0: We've talked about it a bit on this show before, but like the idea of giving, especially, you know, the last two years, not, so much the last year, but Netflix a while ago made headlines by like hiring a bunch of famous directors and giving them basically free reign. And like, on the one hand, that was cool because you got to see directors like unadulterated visions. On the other hand, that sucked a bit because you got to see directors unadulterated visions. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword when you don't have studio interference at all. On the one hand, studio interference can like really mess up movies in some points but like it might have saved alien by you know forcing ridley scott to make us to make a different ending than the alien piloting the ship although that would have been very funny
2: filmmaking is a collaborative medium i guess and it's too easy to fall into a vision of the studio beating up on the uh, downtrodden artist who had a vision which is sometimes the case alien 3 is probably an example of that happening like- often it's a collaborative process
1: mm-hmm. i will say like it's actually i think the alien franchise has by far at least for the like like they had ridley scott james cameron and david fincher all work on an alien movie like that's compared to like any other franchise that's an insanely stacked lineup directors
0: and uh also uh the guy who directed alien resurrection also directed uh amelie and is an incredibly successful french director we don't talk about
2: alien resurrection
0: right it's it's not it's not a real movie but if they would have made one after alien 3 it would have most likely been directed by jean-pierre Junette, who is a very very successful French director as well
1: yeah, no it, it's crazy also it is odd to me how how widespread the alien franchise is despite like it none of these movies really gross that much money on their own you know like obviously like 200 million in 1980 was like a lot more than it was than it is now, but like like it's it's a relatively low grossing franchise considering how you know how widespread it is and how many years it's been going on for
0: so two uh i have have two questions left one of them is one of them is very large scale and then one of them maybe hones in a bit we'll see if i even need to ask the second one but uh we brought you on mark because you are showing us a classic movie and uh specifically why is alien a classic there's the broad question
2: alien is a classic because it is definitive as i said at the start that's my that's my uh, definition of a classic when you look at something which has defined a genre or an era or a career alien has arguably defined ridley scott's career certainly it's dominated it in certain areas of his life but more importantly than that it defines the the space horror it defines the fear of the unknown Uh, in a sci-fi horror film. Uh, And it creates something which is truly alien and inscrutable to a human uh, and uses it as a tool for horror. Attempting to explain it in future editions is only making it worse. You don't need to explain it. It's scary just the way it is. uh, And it will never be topped when it comes to production design, visual design, creature design claustrophobic direction.
0: I really like that you said explaining, attempting to explain it is a bad idea because that was my biggest problem with Aliens. Yeah. And honestly with the rest of the series but mostly with Aliens because, you know, by the time Prometheus comes along you, you get the point. They're trying to explain Alien. Like, whatever. Like, you're not going into Prometheus expecting something that's trying to recapture the first movie.
2: Yeah, Aliens was the start of a of a mistake of a, uh, of a train of thought. The train of thought of trying to explain Alien started with Aliens, and that's an entire franchise built on sand because the premise is that it is Alien and that you don't know and you won't know. Uh, so to try and explain it is madness, complete madness. It would be like, yeah, like- trying to explain The Thing. If, if you had an eight series franchise about The Thing in which you went back to the thing's home planet and there was a society of things and there was a queen thing that was helping to spread it out. That would just be horrific because it would take away
0: from the fear of the unknown, which is the heart of that film. And I think like the most interesting thing about that is that while I personally agree that aliens is the start of a mistake and also that aliens like didn't resonate with me, I don't, necessarily think aliens is by default, a bad movie. Like, I think it's a fine action movie, all things considered. Like it didn't resonate with me. I didn't love it, but like to the people that do love it, I get it. It's, it's good at what it is trying to do. But for me, what it is trying to do kind of goes against what makes alien good. And while those two movies can coexist as separate things, when they have to be part of the same franchise and the franchise continues the second one in addition to the first one it you know that's that's where even though aliens isn't by default a bad movie it's a bad decision that when it st- when there's more stuff added to it you know can never can never really be made right in my opinion
2: oh, we need to have pierre defend aliens now this is episode episode two on this series will be oh, pierre defending aliens. <laughs> i
1: i think if aliens was directed by anyone other than james cameron i think it could have been a complete like shit show because yeah obviously like like you said like the whole point of alien is that it's not explained it's mysterious um i think james cameron kind of like the whole i think i don't really like the idea of a queen and stuff either um but i i'm not like a huge like i don't really care about the alien lore that much personally so um like to me it's just like it's it's a great i think it's a great standalone movie it, like it obviously in terms of like the alien franchise i think it kind of ruins it because i think it opened the doors to to all everything that we've seen so far but as a movie in itself i think it's it's a very good movie and mm-hmm. i think it's the only the only reason it succeeded is because it's it's a good movie in of itself i think there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of sequels that we have seen where they completely shift genres or they just make everything bigger and they do fail because the directors just aren't aren't very good um but yeah i would i say james cameron uh has a fundamental understanding of the like the alien like franchise or lore probably not um
0: but i mean he only did but, the one I so he doesn't probably, need to
1: yeah, I it, it to me it was just like James Cameron was like, I wanna make a big budget blockbuster. Here's a here's a ripe IP that I can I can probably make a movie off of. Uh I don't think he'll consult with Rid- Ridley Scott on like the alien lore or anything. And that's probably why I, I doesn't Ridley Scott like absolutely hate like all the other aliens movies? Like I'm pretty like he's very vehemently against them, right? As well.
2: He made some of the um the sequels uh,
1: I, I meant the non the non-Ridley Scott movies, not, not uh, Prometheus. It would be pretty funny if you hated Prometheus, though. I'm not going to yeah. lie.
2: It's interesting that James Cameron basically did this twice, albeit once with his own project with Terminator. And I think it, this is completely off topic now. Now we're just talking about Terminator 2. But the, th- for, for me, turning <laughs> Terminator from a horror to an action doesn't have the same level of uh, discordance to it because... There is, uh, there, there, there's a little bit more to expand on that can turn into action while still being scary. And so it's a, so, Terminator 2 is a big sort of blockbuster popcorn kind of a film, but it's not taking away from the essence of Terminator. Terminator is not about, you know, something which you're not supposed to know anything about. There's a lot of explaining what's going on in Terminator. So, so explaining it further doesn't diminish it.
0: I think it's like... Mm it's not that alien doesn't do world building because it's got a lot of interesting world building there, but alien does a lot of world building that doesn't feel like it's intended to be expanded on where terminator does a lot of world building that feels like it is intended to be expanded on. Like in terminator, they give you specific dates and specific companies, and this is going to happen in 20 years. So when in terminator two, uh, six years later, or however many years, probably like 10 years later, there's people trying to stop this thing that's supposed to happen 20 years from away after the original Terminator. It makes sense because this is like world building that has specific consequences that people can act on. Where an alien, when they come onto that planet, it feels like they weren't supposed to be there. They weren't supposed to learn anything about it. And when they left, they're like leaving with knowledge they're not supposed to have, and, you know, the fact that they have it now, great, but, like, the way that it's presented where this isn't stuff that they're supposed to know about means that it's not stuff they're supposed to know more about. So when you make sequels and you try to learn more about it, it's knowledge that's already not inviting.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, think, I, think, I think that just comes down to James, James, like, Ridley Scott wasn't involved, and James Cameron just kind of made the franchise into his, you know, his own vision the second movie whereas terminator 2 obviously he made the first one so he's he was more able to grasp what what he thought made the first one special and uh kind of enhance it um but yeah like yeah they're very i'd say they're very similar i mean like what aliens and terminator 2 both involve ca- a child actor and the main character bonding and developing a fraternal relationship and they up the action uh I want to say there's there is, there, is there's a corporate greed aspect involved in both movies too, where they're trying to attract the alien and aliens and then Terminator 2, it's like they don't want to Skynet Skynet's a capitalist uh, thing, so.
0: So, like, Aliens and Avatar are quite different, but they have a lot of similarities, I was noticing when I watched Aliens. Like, the corporate greed theme is still there. The, like, kids are are there there's like the whole space marines which are still in avatar Uh, just that in avatar it's like expanded upon and sort of there's space marines versus the navi it's like they're not extremely similar but there's enough similarities where when i saw aliens i'm like yes this is the guy who made avatar 30 years later
1: yeah that's fair maybe maybe he's only got one James Cameron's only got one sequel trick, so I don't know. We f- it, we figured it, him out. I think we beat him.
0: It's a bit like the Mario movie, where like it's not that similar to the original one, but it's more similar than you'd think.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um,
0: anyway, I think that's it on Alien. Like, what what do you guys think? Closing thoughts on Alien, folks.
2: Do you think that? space horror has ever been done again in the same way that Alien did? Do you think that, that you, if you were to name the successor to Alien's title, what would you go for?
0: That's really tough I because I, I don't think I think that movies that have tried to do what Alien does or most movies that try to fit into the same genre and sort of be the same thing don't end up standing out. It might be part of the fact that horror is given lower budgets and not nearly as much marketing. So maybe like, I just don't know the good ones, but I'm thinking like the movie life or the Cloverfield paradox. I don't even remember what happened in those movies, but like, those are also movies that tried to be, you know, paranoid, uh, small setting and basically like some kind of alien threat. And you know, they just didn't kind of work. So I don't know if the successor to Alien would be the same kind of movie, or just I don't know if a successor has happened within that same genre, really.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I've only seen Life. Life is pretty similar. But I, th- I just think the problem is it, like, that's probably why there's so many Alien sequels is that it, 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 I think this is a I think alien did it so well that anything else even with like modern effects or whatever would just feel like a very cheap imitation um i think it really nailed it it was like the first movie to do it and it really nailed it and i think that's the issue is that like there's not because it's such a narrow genre that it's really tough to find any way to really maneuver in that space because we've we've seen it like ridley scott can't even like i feel like alien covenant was the closest he made that very similar to the first Alien, and it's just if it, you could feel like it feels like a cheap imitation of it, and it's it's not nowhere close to, um, to the same thing. And it's like a very similar movie too. And that's the problem is that I don't I don't I just don't know where the franchise or other movies can go uh, from that aspect because like like yeah like Alien just got so much of it right, you know, and that's
2: why it's a classic because it. <laughs> It invented and completed a genre in a single film. No, no one's been able to do it, do, do it since.
0: I think it's a little hard to isolate. Not, not to isolate, but I think it's hard to like point to what makes Alien great and also what makes Alien, Alien. Because in a lot of ways, Alien is just a slasher in space. But also Alien is nothing like Friday the 13th. Or, I mean, it's the most like The Thing, but The Thing and Alien are still very distinct. Like those aren't similar movies, really. It's not Nightmare on Elm Street. It's not like any other slashers and it's not like any other space movies. But if you had to like distill it down to what is Alien, the closest I could get would be to describe it that way, which isn't even that accurate. Like it's a slasher in space, but it's not like slashers and it's not like space movies so what is it really
2: disturbingly sexual
0: but see that's the thing too is because i would argue that aliens is more is not maybe not more disturbingly sexual but it feels to me like when james cameron made aliens and like i'm i'm sorry to just trash on james cameron the whole time but like it feels to me like when James Cameron made Aliens, he honed in on the fact that Alien was very sexual and made it like, and in Aliens, he brought in those themes and made them super gross. Not necessarily like the whole, they didn't, he didn't make them like a tent pole of the whole movie, but they come up, they come up explicitly and they come up in like really not even disturbing ways, just like bro, why'd you do that? You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to put that in your movie. And so it's like the sexual aspect of alien isn't even like it's there and it's important to alien, but it's also, it's like the, it's like the slasher and the space part. If you just make a slasher, it's not like alien. If you just make a space movie, it's not like alien. If you just make a sexual horror, it's also not like alien. You have that perfect Venn diagram of three things that must have that extra secret sauce somewhere in there because no one can quite nail it the same way.
1: I never saw this sexual aspect that much, but now I'm thinking about it. It's, it's gonna it's gonna really taint my next viewing. <laughs> that's okay. It'll add another layer to it, I guess. So that's cool.
0: It's it's not huge in Aliens, but when it comes up, I was like, oh, gross, man, don't do that. Because like the whole point. Okay, so I'm going to spoil aliens, I guess, briefly. But at the very end, they're like, Sigourney Weaver, like, calls out the the businessman, and she's like, oh, he wanted to send us there so that the aliens could impregnate me and the nine-year-old girl and bring the aliens back to base or whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, so it wasn't an issue, it wasn't a theme for the entire movie, and now this is where it is. Okay, cool. Weird. Bad. But all right. Anyway.
1: was, i don't want to i almost don't that, want that to bothered
0: on. me. <laughs> yeah well let's not end it on that mark where can people really find more of here. you or uh you know what do you want to tell us about the academy of death races academy of death races
2: is consistently awesome working on academy of death races festival part three coming to you or coming to a place near you i guess january 2024 um i am always hanging around on the server from time to time chatting about minding the gap to anybody who will listen uh and i hope to be around more in the future thanks for having me on the show guys it's been great
0: thank you for coming back and uh we'll absolutely be plugging the festival when it when it comes up and we'll probably need a guest to do that so maybe you'll hear more of mark in the future i hope you'll hear more of mark in the future anytime uh pierre what's our last word
1: alien Z... uh. <laughs>